Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. I want to welcome you to our study in the Gospel of Matthew. We are well into the book, and in fact, in this program, uh, we're going to begin at Matthew chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. It reads, And it came about that when Yeshua had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Now, before I go any further, one of the things that we need to take note of is when the gospel writers tell us about a certain location that the Messiah has gone to, there is significance to that. If you go back all the way into late part of chapter 17, all of chapter 18 and part of that, that part there, he was in Capernaum. He was up there on the northern edges of the Sea of Galilee. And now it says that he has come now into the area, uh, came out of Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. The Judea beyond the Jordan is exactly east of where Jerusalem is at. Uh, Judea begins just on the northern part of Jerusalem and then extends down. And what is intriguing about this is that it says he was beyond the Jordan. If you're in Capernaum and you start a journey uh, down to the region where we're talking about, it would make the most logical sense to walk down on the western edge of the um, Jordan River. And that would bring you into the region there of the Jordan River and near Jericho. And by the way, you'll hear about Jericho later on. Um, and you wouldn't be beyond the Jordan. So at some point, they crossed the Jordan River. Uh, my suspicions is that when they got down to the junction point of Jericho and Jerusalem, which would be off to the west of them, they instead crossed the Jordan River. That is the area where the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River when they came into uh, the land uh, at the conclusion of the exodus from Egypt. Now he goes into that region, which is today modern Jordan, and in those days it was the northern edges of what we call the land of Edom, um, where Esau and his descendants went into. So it's intriguing that he would specifically go to that region because if, if I recall correctly, this is the first time the scripture is telling us that that's where he was at, that he ever went to that particular territory. So it's kind of like a new place. And it's almost like he's making sure that he makes the rounds to that place. And it may have been one of the last places that he visited in the land before he's going to go up to, to Jerusalem. Because from this point on, He's going to go to Jericho and then up to Jerusalem, and we'll have the final events of doing the work of redemption. So he's beyond the Jordan, and great multitudes followed him. He healed them. And some Pharisees came to him, testing him, saying, Is it lawful 
for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And he answered, he said, Have you not read that he created them from the beginning and made them male and female? And said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he's reiterating, when people get married, it's part of God's creation plan. Marriage is supposed to promote um, um, procreation, and there's supposed to be a lifelong relationship associated with it. You leave your father and your mother to be cleaved to this, one, and you become one with this person. It's not supposed to be a variable. Uh, well, I'll be married as long as it works out. No, when you make the vow, it's without conditions. You know, and the traditional marriage vows for better or for worse, richer or for poor, uh, and, uh, and health or in sickness, I'm still going to be your husband and, and so forth. You make a vow where you strip out all of the conditions. Well, he gives that answer. Consequently, they are no longer two but one flesh. What God is therefore joined together, let no man separate. Now, that's a very positive, powerful statement with regard to how marriage, people should enter into marriage. They should enter into marriage with the idea of being permanent forever. They're going to be husband and wife. That's it. We're not going to be discussing other alternatives. Um, they said to him, they said, okay, all right, you're saying it's like an ultimate thing, but wait a minute, you know, Moses had something to say about this, and he talked about the possibility of divorce and so they say, verse 7, And they said to them, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate and divorce her? In other words, the, the idea of giving a get. Uh, uh, and um, there's a whole lot of teaching in the Torah with regard to about gets. In fact, nowhere in the Torah is the letter gimel and tav, which spake the word get, can you find those two letters beside each other. However, Moses gave an edict, um, a determination that if a man had to divorce, if a woman had to divorce a man, it requires a get. In other words, there has to be a vis visible, uh, verifiable document that, that would uh, certify that. So he said marriage is forever. He's saying that marriage is for your whole lifetime. So they're saying, yeah, but why didn't Moses give us a get so that we could be divorced? He answers them, verse 8, Because of, the, of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. Uh, what Yeshua is saying, and, I, and you know, Moses coming out of, of Egypt where we learned the lesson about Pharaoh having a hard heart, um, he's saying that in a marriage, if your heart becomes so hardened, and by the way, he's talking about the hardness of the heart like Pharaoh did, if it becomes so hardened, then treachery begins to take shape. A hard heart lends itself to treachery. And we're not talking about being angry or holding a grudge. We're talking about you become so... Uh, opposed to this person that you're willing to do harmful things to them. Now, today, when you hear about somebody being divorced, we talk about sometimes uh, adultery. 
that's a form of treachery. You're being deceitful and, um, and lacking fidelity. And, and it's, it's harmful to your spouse if you do. It's going to be harmful to your family. It's going to hurt a lot of people. Uh, the other is verbal abuse, physical abuse. Well, obviously those are treacherous acts and so forth. Um, stealing from a person. In other words, committing gross sin against the other person is a form of treachery, which reflects hardness of the heart. You don't love the person. You're hard-hearted toward him, and you do these kinds of things. And this is a case of where your deeds betray your words. You know, the guy says, oh, I love you, but in truth of fact, he's out doing other things that proves he doesn't. That's the hardness of the heart. That's the reason for a divorce in the Torah. Now, uh, let's go a little bit further here. Uh, verse 9, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, marries another woman, commits adultery. What he's now speaking to is specifically that activity that was taking place and was the reason why the question was being asked, can you get divorced for any reason? He specifically says, if you have a guy who gets married, has children, you know, he gets to a certain station of life, midlife or whatever, and he decides, well, you know, I'm feeling kind of frisky and I want to go find me a young thing to spend time with. He said, you're already committing adultery. You're lusting after the other woman and you're navigating yourself into a relationship with her. And uh, as a result, your heart already is committing adultery. And he said, um, so he describes that. Uh, verse 10, the disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, is it better not to marry? In other words, now they're taking the thing. If this is the way men behave, and uh, we're constantly being tempted with this to commit adultery and all, isn't it better to have never gotten married? Which, by the way, they're really suggesting, well, why don't we go ahead and give a license to promiscuity? And there's some people who think that, oh, I don't want to get married because I want to be able to go sleep with anybody I want. Well, that's a whole nother sin. You know, that's called fornication. And marriage is not a covering for fornication. It's not a covering for adultery. It's a completely set-apart thing that God created way back in the early creation so that men and women could procreate and we could be fruitful and multiply on the earth. By the way, the guy who goes out and has sex with multiple women and raises up multiple children, that is not God's idea, being fruitful and multiplying. I understand that we have certain sports athletes who pride themselves, literally, in this society. just goes to show you how evil and adulterous is. I saw a thing the other day that we had one of uh, these superstar athletes who had been with uh, 46 different women and he had 43 different children through him, not married to any of them. That's ridiculous. And I guarantee you that is not what the Lord um, considers to be the right and proper thing. And it's certainly not according to Scripture. So then posing the question, well, would it be better not to marry? 
Now that's, that's not the alternative to this. Verse 11, but he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those who have, to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's woman. There are eunuchs who are eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs that have been eunuchs um, themselves for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. There are certain people, um, certain men, who do not desire to get married. They, and so they're referred to as a eunuch. But a eunuch doesn't go and have those kinds of sexual activities. They are committing their lives to the service of the Lord. In fact, they would commit themselves to the service of the temple um, and to the ministry of the Lord. And they chose not to be married. Now, today, um, in our society and in church history, the ba- what I just read to you is the basis of why when a Catholic uh, priest uh, takes the vows to be a Catholic priest, he's basically saying, I'm making myself a eunuch. I will not have relations with uh, women. I will not have family and so forth. And so they, they use this as a nobil- noble thing for, uh, about the priest. This was never intended to set up a priesthood. Uh, that's not what he's talking about here. There's the Levitical priesthood, and by the way, by them doing this, it doesn't qualify them for another priesthood. And I know they'd like to call themselves the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is the same one that Yeshua is. That's not what the Scripture taught. That's not what it's saying. Uh, and he's simply talking about when he was answering the question, is it better not to marry? There are some who don't marry, but they do so for the service of the kingdom. They don't do it because of all these complications with adultery and promiscuity. It's completely separate from it. So he's given the answer to it. 13. Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. Now, why in the world would they do that? Well, you know, here he is doing all these healings and teachings and so forth. And all of a sudden, a bunch of little kids, you know, these people want to bring their kids and have the Lord bless them and pray over them and so forth. And they're thinking, well, this is a waste of time. We have much more important stuff to do. And the Lord, so they're they're rebuking the people from doing it. And Yeshua answers them and says, let the children alone. Do not hinder them from uh, from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Let me go one step further. The kingdom of God, the millennial kingdom, the kingdom that the Messiah reigns, the prophecy says of it, there shall be no end to the increase, which means that there will be, everything will be fruitful and multiplying. That means babies will be born, there will be new people coming into the kingdom, and children will be the dominant feature in the kingdom. When it talks about us ruling and reigning with the Messiah, who are we ruling and reigning over? Not unbelievers, not somebody that was left over that didn't make it through the resurrection. We're talking about children. We're talking about the houses ruling and reigning over the house of the Lord. And so children will be the dominant thing. 
this is pure speculation on my part, but it's worthy of mention at this point. You know, what, what's going to happen when the Lord comes back and we have all of these children and all of these generations of the earth that never were given the opportunity to rise up to the age of accountability, never had a chance to make a decision for the Lord. They died as babies, they were aborted, um, whatever. I think the Lord's going to bring them into His kingdom. And I think because in His kingdom, they're going to be taught directly by Him. And the sheer numbers of children that will be at the start of the kingdom will be overwhelming to the other uh, folks in different stations of life. And as a result, we're going to have our hands full taking care of a lot of children, taking care of a lot of people. And then the scripture says, there will be no end to the increase. It will continue uh, on. And so the Lord is talking about children are going to be a dominant feature in the kingdom. So don't hinder them from coming to Him. Welcome them uh, to come to me. Verse 16, And behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain, obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. Okay, let's stop right there for a moment because I know all my Baptist salvation by grace fans are going nuts at this point. Didn't he just say that um, you have to keep commandments to, um, to be saved? Yes, he did. So what in the world is he talking about? I mean, I thought the grace of God, I thought faith in the grace of God was. The number one first commandment of the Ten Commandments is to believe in God. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. If you don't have the desire to be with the Lord or have something to do with the Lord, you're never going to have faith in Him and you're never going to see salvation. So that statement is very powerful and very true. And we know that sinners don't go into the kingdom of heaven. That, that if you're violating commandments, it definitely... So that if let's drop this facade about, oh, you don't have to keep the commandments. Yes, you do have to keep the commandments. You keep saying to somebody, oh, you don't have to keep the commandments. You are telling them that they have license anytime they want not to have faith in the Lord, and we know that's essential to salvation. You're telling them they don't have to have faith, and they'll make it. Uh, and and that, that's, what you, that's the distorted teaching about um, the commandments that are done by a lot of brethren. Let's go further, because he's gonna, this, this fellow who's asked this question, he's going to be uh, following through on this. Verse 18, he said to them, Which ones? And Yeshua said, You shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. Now, when he says you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, he's talking about the sixth through the ninth of the Ten Commandments. These are all sins you do against another person. 
And then he says to remember to honor your father and your mother. That's the fifth commandment. Those are part of the commandments about commandments and dealing with God. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's the second greatest commandment. So what he's basically done, he says, all of the commandments you are to keep. In other words, if you're going to have salvation uh, by faith and, and your, it's your belief system, then the salvation that is by faith, that same belief system says that I want to obey the Lord. And if you have the question, well, which commandments do I keep to obey the Lord? He just gave you a, a, a kind of a survey list. All the commandments that have to do with men, commandments that have to do with God. And oh, by the way, the teaching of the Torah, you know, the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. The teaching of the commandments of the Lord that Moses gave to us. Those commandments. In other words, he's expressing the whole Torah. You know, that you keep all the commandments of the Lord that have been given. Now, obviously, the, the one caveat I want to just briefly mention, we're talking about here, is it depends on what your station of life is. If you're a man, you don't have to keep the commandments of women. If you're a man but you're not a priest, then you don't have to keep the commandments for priests. If you're a man and you're not the high priest, you don't have to keep those additional commandments for being a high priest. If you're a man and you're not married, then you don't have to keep the commandments for being a husband. And as depending on what station of life you're in, it, it comes down to the specifics for wherever you're at in your life, the station in your life. But as a general rule, the Ten Commandments and loving your neighbors yourself applies to everyone. It applies to all of us. And so that's what he's really answering. He's talking about the ones that apply to every person that this is part of this equation um, that leads to salvation. When you remember that James has said, he said, you say you have faith. Well, let me see your works. Then I'll, I'll see what kind of faith you have. My, my version of that is, you say you believe in God. Show me which commandments you keep, and I'll tell you which God you believe in. If you don't believe in the, uh, and if you say you believe in the God of Israel, uh, the God of the Messiah of Israel, and, and then you don't keep the commandments that were given by the God of Israel to those people in, the, in Israel, then you obviously don't believe in the God of Israel. If you say you believe in the God of Israel, but you go off and do other commandments, and then lay claim and say, well, those, that's my righteousness, that's, that's the obedience that I've done in my faith. No, you've got some other God. You've created in your imagination some other God. You believe in some other God, not the God of Israel, not the one true God, creator of heaven and earth, almighty God. That God gave very specific commandments through Moses for all of mankind. That's the reason why Every one of the major commandments are said, this is for the native-born and for the alien and sojourner who may be amongst you. And it was God's intent all along that the family of Abraham, the kingdom of God, would be that in his seed would all the families of the earth be blessed. 
this business of segregating out, well, Jews versus Gentiles, is sheer preceptual teaching of men. That is not what the Scripture teaches. The commandments and the covenants are for all believers of God. And so he's giving an answer that carries weight for every person on this subject. What do I have to do to be saved? He goes on further, verse 20. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And Yeshua said, If you wish to be complete, if you wish to really put your maximum effort into this, to be as diligent you can, go and sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That the man heard this statement, and he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Now, that's an interesting thing, because one of the things that gets into this business about salvation, and let's just be honest about this, a lot of people approach salvation from God, from the, the first thing that draws them in, sometimes is not, oh, I would like to know this incredible supreme being who's the creator of heaven and earth. No, they don't approach it that way. What they do is they say, oh, I've got all these sins, and I feel guilty, and what am I going to do about it? Oh, I've heard that because of these sins, I could potentially be judged eternally. Well, I want to escape that. You know, God, save me. You know, they're looking for forgiveness. They're looking for mercy uh, from God. Um, and they're looking for the security to overcome the issues that have been part of their life. That's the way most people come to faith. But what you should, as you grow and mature in the faith, that's not, you may have started there, but that's not where you end up. Where you're supposed to end up is to build a relationship with God, to get to know the Lord, you know, to love Him, uh, for Him to love you, and to, to enjoy His blessings, and to not just some fire insurance. Now, in that combination of where we have the dynamic of the fellow who I see myself in trouble and I need a solution for my problems of my sins and because I've done bad things and I need to be absolved of those, I need to have forgiveness of those uh, and so forth, that may be what brings you in. But if you're a person who comes into the faith and you have some resources, some means about you, there's this temptation that, well, if I, you know, I use my resources to solve all my problems. You know, all I have to do is just have enough money and I'll solve all my problems. So they get tempted with the idea, well, how can I manage my resources to improve my situation? When Yeshua questions him and says, why don't you give up all your security resources and just trust me, that tore him up because that was what he really trusted. He really trusted his resources. Um, you know, a, a lot of times I've spoken and, and taught on the prophetic, the end of days, the great tribulation, um, what we're going to be faced with. You wouldn't believe, well, maybe you would, but I'm shocked by how many brethren want to come up and ask me questions like, 
and I've had this happen multiple times. So, so what do you think, Monty? Uh, gold, silver, you know, um, American dollars won't be getting it, but gold and silver, should I, should I get gold and silver? Like that's going to be assisting you in getting delivered from the great tribulation and making your way into the kingdom. No, it's not. Because the question you're really asking me is an investment question. You could have just as easily come up and said, hey, Monty, uh, you know, to get through the Great Trib, you, do you think I ought to buy AT&T stock or should I get Microsoft? Or, you know, I've, I've got an investment question I have for you. Or I have precious metals. Could I, and should I invest in precious metals? Investing is not going to deliver you in the Great Tribulation. And how you managed your resources is, has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to receive salvation. Salvation and deliverance comes by trusting the Lord and following the promises of God. It has nothing to do with how you make investments. So this person was in deep in their thinking was, well, I've got these resources, I've got this property, uh, you know, I, I could sell some of it and use it in a different way. Would that, would that help with the situation? And of course it doesn't. So when Yeshua confronted him, he said, well, if you really want to be complete on this thing, why don't you take away all of that, which you're uh, also trusting in, why don't you get and, and completely trust the Lord? And, and as you'll note, he, he says at the final phrase, you shall have treasure in heaven. It's not like you're going to lose it. And come, follow me. Completely follow my instruction. Completely trust me. And, of course, we know that the, the young man went away uh, grieved because he had much property. You know, I know a lot of you are saying, well, you're not, you're not rich. But the truth of the matter is, if you live in the United States of America and the Western world, you are rich compared to other people in the world. And I know that every one of you, when you consider the end of days, you're always trying to think through, how do I best use my resources before all of it goes south? What, what, what do I need to invest in? What do I, what do I need to get? You know, how, how do I do it? All right, let's uh, continue on. Verse 23. And Yeshua said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard this, they were astonished. And he said, well, then who can be saved? And looking upon them, Yeshua said to them, with men that that is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then Peter answered and said, behold, we have left everything and followed you. Then what will there be for us? And Yeshua said to them, Truly I say to you, that you, you who have followed me, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on the, his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon thrones, twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. But many of you who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let me go a step further. I'll, I'll share just a bit of personal testimony. 
I learned this principle um, as a young man, but I wasn't quite sure how to implement it. When I was a young man, I knew that I needed to develop skills and be able to be able to earn money because earning money is how I would provide for my family and I had a great desire to have a wife and, a, and children and family and a home and, and, and you got to go out and you got to work for those things. You know, nobody's just going to give them to you. And here the Lord is talking about giving all those kinds of things up and here I am a young man. I desire those things and everybody goes through this. Everybody goes through, you know, the pursuit of your life um, and those kinds of goals and yet we see these words here and we go, oh, what in the world is he talking about? Well, let me tell you what happened to me. So I did do that. You know, and I believed that the Lord wanted me to do that. I believed that the Lord had promised that I would have a wife and children and that I would live in goodly houses and so forth. And, and I saw the Lord fulfill that. But then there came a time when the Lord said, okay, I want something more from you now. And what he wanted more from me was completely surrendering to him. And essentially what I did personally was I sat down and I made a list of all those things that I thought belonged to me. My wife, my children, my home, my cars, my debts, my sins, Anything and everything that I thought I owned, my hobbies, my interests. And the Lord said, I want you to give it all to me. And I said, okay. By the way, that's the definition of the biblical bondservant. The bondservant has to make a declaration before God that says, I love my master. I love my wife and children that my master gave to me. Uh, in the case of Yeshua, I love my brethren of the master. And for the reason of love, I will not go out as a free man. So he views everything that's in his life as belonging to the Lord. He's no longer a free man. He's a servant for the reason of love, to love the Lord and be in the Lord's house. That bondservant, and by the way, that's from the Torah as well as what is in the New Testament. I would remind everybody that Paul used to write a lot of his letters and say, Paul, a bondservant of Yeshua of Nazareth, called an apostle. His work was the work of apostle. But if you were asking him what was his position, he said he preferred the position, I'm a bondservant of the Lord. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. Yeshua is really speaking to that if you become a bondservant, if you surrender all of those things, if you set those things aside and they become less priority, I become the first priority in your life, then you're going to receive many times that in, in when you inherit your eternal life. Uh, before I started Lion of Lion Ministries, I had a successful aerospace career, for those of you who have heard my uh, testimony of life. And I uh, was very successful. I made a lot of money. I, I, I did well. And the Lord said, okay, I want you to give that up, and I want you to go work for me. Um, you know, I, it didn't take me a real long time to figure this out, and I did. I cashed in all my stocks, my bonds. I... 
I had started Lion Land Ministries. I, I stepped away from my career. I had people contact me, wanting me to join them to start new companies and would have been on the path of being a millionaire. I gave it up because I chose the kingdom. When I had friends of mine, professional friends, call me up, they'd heard about the decision I made. I remember one friend says, Bonnie, I can't believe that you walked away from all of this and, uh, to do ministry. And I said, well, consider the decision that I had to make. I said, first of all, you're right. I don't make as much money as I used to make before, but I make enough money that it meets my needs. I said, secondly, my retirement program is out of this world compared to the other one that I used to be working on. Thirdly, I work for the best boss I've ever worked for in my life now. I work for Almighty God instead of for some man. And finally, I get to work with the nicest people in the world, people that, that love and believe in God. And um, I said, I couldn't turn the job down. That is the best job I could possibly ever pursue. All right, so each one of us can make those kinds of decisions to choose the kingdom and choose the Lord, make him the first priority. The last verse, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Now, it's connected to what we've just talked about, but what we're getting ready to find out in our next program is this expression is really explained in chapter 20. And so I hope you'll join me in the next program and we'll talk about the first will be last, and the last will be first. Shalom, everyone.